Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to our number two of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for tuning in across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. It is a privilege and an honor to be with you, our Relevant Radio family. Now, uh, as Glenn mentioned, uh, the first in the nation, New Hampshire primary, is well underway since uh, midnight. And uh, former President Trump is leading former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley uh, in different uh, polls uh, by double digits in uh, uh, some recent polls uh, that leading up to today. So uh, we'll chat about it uh, here momentarily. Uh, Today is also the optional memorial of St. Marianne Cope, a 19th century sister's of St. Francis Religious, who for several decades continued uh, the ministry to the isolated lepers on Malachi in Hawaii that was begun by St. Damien of Malachi. If you missed any part of our conversation about St. Marianne Cope with Catholic writer Laura DiMaria in the first hour of the show this morning, you can always go back and listen to the podcast on the new Relevant Radio app and at relevantradio.com. It was a really fascinating uh, conversation and story. Want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah once again. Uh, Glenn, what are a few of the stories uh, making headlines uh, this hour here on uh, this Tuesday morning? Well, the voting is underway. It's uh, been going on for about an hour or so in uh, New Hampshire, first primary in the nation. And actually, little Dixville Notch up near the Canadian border always gets things started at midnight with all six voters uh, checking in. And uh, by the way, not necessarily indicating any trends, but all six voters there <laughs> did cast their ballot for, for Nikki Haley. She, of course, the, the major challenger left to, uh, to former President Trump. And then on the Democratic side, someone who's not on the ballot is... President Biden. He didn't want New Hampshire to have that first in the nation primary. Their state law calls for that. He wanted all the focus to be on South Carolina coming up February 24th. So uh, his campaign is asking folks to to write his name in. Uh, And so this is the chance uh, to make any little bit of a splash for one of his challengers, uh, Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips there on the Democratic side. But uh, voting continues into early evening and uh, we'll have much more analysis of that uh, for you tomorrow, John. All right, uh, Glenn, uh, uh, any thoughts on uh, the meaning of uh, the first six votes that were cast in Dixville Notch uh, last night? Oh, like I said, I don't know that that, uh, that tiny, tiny number is indicative of anything in particular, but uh, you got to love their spirit getting out at midnight and casting those votes. Yeah, it's an interesting tradition. I, I understand it goes back uh, to 1954, so they've been doing this for quite some time, and uh, apparently back then uh, they would have to go really far about an hour to go vote, and uh, that's when the tradition began, when they decided to do it right uh, in uh, their own neighborhood, and uh, it's been going on ever since. It gets a lot of national attention. The, the media cares about those six votes for Nikki Haley. Well, what I wonder about is, would you rather drive an hour, or would you rather wake up at midnight? I don't know. Uh, it's a toss-up. I think maybe I'd rather get to sleep and drive, but I know in the <laughs> conditions of maybe getting up, you know, you beat the rush. I don't know. Well, I, they'll have to let us know. Call I got a in. feeling that those folks uh, stayed up. 
they, they don't they don't go to bed and then come back. I That's think I think they're up uh, for the count. When you're waiting up for Santa Claus, uh, you don't get very much sleep. So it's very possible <laughs> that they're so excited to vote, they're just they're just staying awake. Absolutely. Um, and meanwhile, l- last night, um, former President Trump was joined on stage in New Hampshire by uh, former opponents who now endorse him, uh, including uh, Senator Tim Scott, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Governor Doug Burnham, um, in a sh- so-called show of force that the Republican Party is uh, unified and ready to take on uh, President Joe Biden. Here's a, a little sample of uh, the pep rally-like atmosphere last night. We need a president today. Who will stop the crime and recklessness in the streets? We need a president who will restore law and order. We are in the middle of a war in this country. It is between those of us who love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America and what we stand for. And right now we need a commander in chief who will lead us to victory. This country has such great people. So you need to get every patriot you know and turn them out to vote in record numbers. We have to not win. We have to win by a lot because we have to send a signal in November that we're coming. We're coming. Glenn, any thoughts uh, on uh, these rivals now on Team Trump? Well, that's the way of politics. Uh, someone can call you names and insult your wife, and then when you decide you got to drop out of the race, the next day uh, they're your best buddy because you don't want to be left behind <laughs> if the if the leader in the polls ends up being in charge. Yeah, you know, Trump has these goofy names that uh, he has come up with over the years, you know, uh, uh, like uh, Little Marco and, uh, you know, all, all these wild names that he's come up with. And I, I guess he uh, he said yesterday that uh, uh, Ron Santos' uh, nickname, Ron DeSantis, uh, is no longer Ron DeSantimonious. Uh, that's been retired, according to Trump. Yeah, he's happy that he, he beat him and uh, and he's out of the race now. There is... Uh, you know, questions about who might be a, a VP choice, and uh, that remains to be seen a little bit. And, and sometimes some of the candidates that aren't the strongest that get in the race uh, are often figured to be angling for, you know, uh, future positions or uh, spots on the cabinet. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to take a moment and uh, and um, make a, a comment here in, in, the, in the morning because yesterday afternoon there was a caller that called in uh, to Drew's show uh, that uh, was very passionate, that felt that we were being too partial uh, here on Relevant Radio uh, about um, about Trump. And uh, I, I don't think that that's Drew's intention or Patrick Madrid's intention. You know, we're, we're trying to report what's going on in this campaign uh, from a, a Catholic perspective, uh, taking a look at the issues that are important to Catholics. And so we're, we're not pulling for the GOP or, or the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, we, we bring a Catholic perspective. We, we have to report what's going on in the news, but, um, you know, that's not our intention. Yeah, as a nonprofit, we can't tell you who to vote for. We can illuminate uh, where candidates stand on the issues and let you uh, make up your own mind about that. And as we, uh, you know, it seems politics more now about the the candidate's personality than the platform that the party stands for. But if you uh, hold up both of those uh, to the Catholic light, uh, neither major party lines up exactly correctly uh, with uh, church teaching on the variety of issues. That is absolutely uh, correct. All right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the uh, Supreme Court uh, had something to say about the immigration crisis that's going on. What's the latest, uh, Glenn? 
State of Texas kind of doing their own thing when it comes to uh, border security, even uh, putting up a razor wire along a little stretch of the uh, the Rio Grande there. Federal officials have been trying to take that down. The U.S. Supreme Court voted narrowly 5-4 to four to allow the federal government to step in and remove the razor wire in that case while the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals still works on a permanent decision there, John. Um, meanwhile, uh, something that we know firsthand, in fact, I count my blessings, I made it into the studio this morning because we had a serious ice storm uh, here in the Chicago area that is uh, not hitting just Chicago, but the Midwest. And uh, in fact, there's freezing rain going all the way from Iowa all the way uh, to New York today. And that freezing rain is extremely dangerous. Like I said, I I am just, uh, you know, blessed that we made it in here without, uh, you know... <laughs> Crashing the car. <laughs> no, I understand Sarah has a drive that's about four times as long as yours, and you relayed that it was, you know, quite challenging last hour. Sarah, how did how did you fare on your way in today? Well, you know, we come from different parts of the state of Illinois, so it's all maybe slightly warmer. It wasn't too bad when I was driving in. Of course, I do a lot of highway travel where you know they're that's like the first lane of attack. You know, they're they're hitting that up first. I will tell you this: when I did come home from work yesterday, our driveway was like a device. So I did have to do some de-icing and I was surprised that I actually made it up the driveway. But luckily, you know, some some salt, you know, bringing that salt shaker where you're going around and hey, if you don't have those actual salts, you know, the crystals that you're supposed to buy at the store that actually are helping with the de-ice, you never underestimate the power of like, you know, a little salt shaker. Hey, anything will help when you're in a desperate situation. Yeah, something. Just to kind of get you through some of those patches. All right. Uh, give us the keys uh, to, to walking on ice. Are, are you using regular snow boots? Uh, do they have rubber soles? What's the deal? Sure. Well, I did have regular snow boots. And then, you know, when you know it is slippery, you know, you just m- mimic the behavior of ice skating. You know, just a left, right, left, right, until you kind of slide your way in, not trying to, you know, take too uh, <laughs> big of steps. I, usually the key. I have not tried the crouch maneuver that you tried this morning, but I'm interested into learning more because you never, I mean, you have I to have kid you not. a lot of I tools I was literally crouching down almost like a catcher, you know, in the crouch, going step by step yeah. on the ice to get from my home to my car, which was only about maybe 80 feet. And uh, it was scary. I mean, it was really, really slippery. And then, you know, said some prayers, put it in the Lord's hands and drove all the way down here real, real slowly and very carefully, making sure you stay plenty behind the car in front of you. And then once I pulled into the parking lot, it was very, very uh, icy. And I got out of the car. I was literally hanging on to anything I could hang on to, including the flagpole for dear life, just to make it into the building. You know, I'm really kicking myself, Glenn, that I did not leave the house maybe 10 minutes earlier because I feel like I could have witnessed this for myself. Oh, man, that but- sounds <laughs> Great. You know, this is great donut great. weather. If you like to make those little slippery donuts in the parking lot or through the around, you know, it's hey, it's a time to have a little fun if there's not a I'm lot of a cars on the road. Jealous. I mean, I finally got out uh, ice skating outside over the weekend a couple times, you know, like five degrees, so the ice was in great shape, and that was a great time. And so maybe if you guys had your skates on, you could. Uh, turn it into a little bit of fun. Well, we got one more hour of the show, so maybe we'll be able to get out there and get a little action before it gets uh, to when all the ice melts and then it's no more fun anymore. Boo. Or as oh. the rest of the staff comes into the building, you know, <laughs> at 8, 8.30, whenever that is, just, uh, you know, roll some film there. That yeah, could be that's, fun, that's a good idea. I like that. I'll take a blizzard over an ice storm any day, believe you me. And you know what? 
one or two degrees can make a big difference. So obviously it was a little bit warmer down in Joliet than it was uh, in Glenview because it was it was definitely right uh, on the, on the border for for us, and that's why it was so icy and slippery. Yeah, see, you know, you say, oh, Sarah, they drive so long, but you know what? Less of the lake effect is sometimes a good thing. So I'm I'm excited to be a little bit more south. We count our blessings. I'm glad you made it in. Uh, we're all uh, president accounted for, uh, Glenn. Very good, very good, and uh, here's hoping it's just a, a boring drive home for you guys. All right, as always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. We uh, begin every morning in prayer, as we always uh, do, and every single hour here on the show, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, and we continue to pray uh, as we do every morning through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. We continue to pray for peace in our nation, peace in our church, peace in our families, and especially peace in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we uh, invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It's Tuesday, so don't forget your guardian angel. We should always remember our guardian angel and, and take a moment to pray to our guardian angels. Even though you can't see these uh, heavenly companions, they are absolutely uh, with us. So you should ask your guardian angel for help in your everyday life. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. The Apostle St. Paul writes, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These powerful verses by St. Paul are a reminder that God's grace is all that we need. No matter the challenge, no matter the hardship, His grace is sufficient. When we feel really weak, like we just can't go on, that's exactly when we are really strong, if we trust in the Lord and in His divine providence with all of our heart. And so uh, let's uh, continue uh, to pray with great confidence that powerful prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. You can email us directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on social media, our handle on X, formerly Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. We're going to take uh, a short pause when Morning Air continues. A Catholic evangelist and Morning Air contributor, Martha Vernetti Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com, will be with us to uh, continue our conversation about love solutions to love more in 24. Stay with us. There's much more to come on this uh, Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
sounds like a little tiple music uh, from South America, perhaps Colombia. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the conversation this morning, 888 sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, let's talk about love. Yes, indeed, the world needs more love, not less. Our resident loveologist and regular contributor, Martha Fernandez-Sardina, began uh, this new year of uh, 2024 sharing how we can and why we ought to make a New Year's love resolution using God's love solutions. Joining us live once again this morning is Martha Fernandez-Sardina herself uh, with this week's Remember You Are Love segment in which we'll elaborate even further on how and why we can and must love more in 24. Martha is an internationally um, bilingual uh, speaker and uh, former director for evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and San Antonio. She's also the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. Good morning, Martha. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, It is uh, great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Always good to be with you. Love is in the air, uh, as always, here on Tuesday mornings. Uh, Where do we leave off, uh, Martha, last week uh, talking about uh, who and uh, what are we uh, to uh, love more in 24? I I love that saying. Uh, You know what? And not only you, I heard a caller on the Patrick Madrid show, which follows your show uh, every day. And uh, Vani said, I think it was yesterday, she said, I had this New Year's resolution to love more in 24. I said, I think she's listening to us, John. (laughs) That's awesome. That is, hey, it's Mm -hmm. catching on. It's got got a good rhyme for sure. It does. And it's a great thing to do. And so where we left off last week was that we can and we must love God above all else. You know, even uh, the Lord said to Peter, remember, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? So we must love the Lord more than other people do, uh, for all that I know, but especially more than we love these other things that surround us, these other people around us. Secondly, we, uh, we can- Martha, let me just jump in for just a quick second. Just a, a thought that, that came to mind, and I and I thought mm-hmm. about this uh, in, in recent days, you know, in our conversations about love. You know, our Lord asked uh, Peter, do you love me uh, more than these? And in the context is after Peter had denied the Lord uh, three times. And, you know, it inspired me uh, to do something just the opposite of Peter denying the Lord three times. And before I receive Holy Communion every day, I always uh, uh, say uh, that short prayer of Pope Benedict, uh, the last words on his lips before he left this world, Lord Jesus, I love you. And I say it three times uh, to remember the denial of St. Peter right before I go off for communion. It's become part of my uh, preparation f- to receive our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. And, uh, you know, it, it really, uh, you know, makes it come to life, you know, to, to know that it, this is what it's all about. It's about loving Jesus. Jesus, I love you, Lord. Oh, that is so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that because it, it, those are the kind of things that we should be doing. Uh, what, that's one way in which we show the Lord that we love him. When we receive communion, when we realize, we recognize that he is there, that he is alive, that he is present. Now, you want to hear a little thing that I do for, and I have for years? 
at the end of Mass, when I'm leaving church, I say to the Lord, uh, as I genuflect, I say to him, I love you too, because I sense that the Lord is shouting from the tabernacle, I love you. And so I say to him, I love you too. That is awesome. He's alive there. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I also, on the way out, out of the church, always touch the crucifix on the way out. You know, just, mm. again, you know, we all have our own ways of saying I love you. And I think that that's, you know, there's, there's many different ways. And that's exactly, uh, as we're talking here, of how to love more in 24. Find those ways in which you express to your own soul and to the Lord and witness before angels and saints who are beholding us and even people around us that we witness that I love the Lord, that I know that he loves me and I love him back. And so that's what we must and can do. And then from that also, we learn to love ourselves properly, no more and no less then God loves us. And we root out all inordinate uh, love, all pride. We ask the Lord for healing. We talked about that last week. Uh, and I posted some uh, healing prayers uh, on uh, MarthaFernandezSardina.org. You can uh, find them there. I'll take you straight over to Facebook or remember you are love.com. And uh, so we ask the Lord for healing of any love deficiencies and any uh, low self-regard that we might have on the one hand or self-inflated sense of self, a skewed sense of self on the other hand. And then, John, what, what we also talked about, and we'll get into even more today, that we must love our neighbor as ourselves, which means, as Christ loves us, which means he loved us to death. So we must be willing to uh, lay down our lives for another. I've heard it said uh, that it's uh, attitude, not uh, aptitude, that determines our altitude, and that goes for the spiritual mm. life as well. What are some of the attitudes and actions that char characterize a love inside of our minds and hearts and souls and in action that'll help us uh, love our neighbor more here in 24? Well, there's such a long list uh, I have found um, online of synonyms and antonyms to love. When you look up, uh, uh, you know, words that describe love or the opposite, you find so many things in it. And I thought it was worthwhile if we went uh, in a little bit deeper into a few of these uh, so that we might ponder and carefully examine our consciences uh, each day, uh, our attitudes. Uh, how am I... Uh, relating to other people, how am I relating to myself, how am, I, how am I relating to God, and then regularly identify if you're loving in this way, uh, or if you're not, if you're feeling and thinking and behaving this way uh, or not, what's going on in the inside of you, which then determines often what happens on the outside of you, your behavior. So some of the uh, descriptions or uh, descriptive characteristics of love, some of the love synonyms that, that I was looking at, include things like admiration. Now, that's not always a sign of love. You can admire something or someone and not love them. But when you love someone, you have a tendency to want to admire their, their the, the, th the things, their achievements, uh, the good things that they do, the beautiful things about them. And, and you, you show that, for example, with your children. You admire when they do something good, when they do well at school and so forth. And you want them to know that, 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 you, that you appreciate them. Um, you certainly, love certainly entails uh, a degree of affection. Uh, and it shows. In, in fact, even when Jesus was asking, asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? He's kind of eliciting in him, uh, get, show me a little love here. Show me a little affection. Not because Jesus was hungering for it. He was healing Peter from the wound that, that his own denial had created in him. Um, and then uh, allegiance, loyalty. When you love someone, you're loyal to them. You, you, 
demonstrate allegiance to them. We, we do that even with the Lord. We show that we're in it uh, through thick and thin. Uh, and uh, a word that so many people don't use in the English language anymore, but you'll realize how important it is when you see the opposite of it, which is amity, which means friendship and peace and harmony and goodwill. The opposite of that would be enmity. So you don't want to have any enmity in your heart. Any You don't want to have anyone as your enemy. You, you want to show amity toward others. You, you want to have that kind of a friendliness toward others. Uh, and uh, I mentioned appreciation uh, or admiration before, and, and it goes with appreciation and a healthy attachment. What you, this is something, John, that you, maybe uh, married couples, uh, people who are married find this oftentimes in their married life. Uh, with their with their uh, spouse, their husband, or their wife, that sometimes people are too detached emotionally, and and so it makes difficult for the expression of love. So there there should be a certain uh, degree of attachment that shows that you sense that you feel. Uh, of course, healthy attachment. Sometimes there's unhealthy attachment, uh, which can actually hinder love. And so uh, there are a number of things that we might examine ourselves with and say, "Am I uh, enjoying?" the presence of the person that I say I love? Am I showing the person that I enjoy uh, their love? Do I have a fondness for them? Do I like to be in their presence? Do I show that to them? And the same thing with love. You you touch the cross. You say to the Lord, I love you three times. Uh, I say, I love you too. We're showing the Lord with our words, with our prayer, with our actions. I really do love you. I'm fond of you and more than fond of you with the Lord. Of course, we are absolutely in adoration of him. Uh, and then, of course, there are things like uh, friendship and, and regard and, and, and respect and a certain reverence. And, and I want to, uh, just before we move on, uh, reverence is an important one. With the Lord, there's a, a real reverence toward the divine. He, uh, we owe him worship. But then even with other human beings, John, it's a sign of love when you revere the mystery of the other. I don't know everything about you. Cindy, your wife, who's who probably knows you more than anyone on earth, or your mother, don't know everything about you, uh, and vice versa. You don't know everything about them or about your son. And so there's a certain reverence that we must have toward others, and that's something I think we have lost, and we can regain as we learn to love more in 24. Absolutely, and that's exactly why we genuflect in reverence in front of uh, our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament. What about some no-nos? Uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about some uh, no-nos, love no-nos that we uh, should avoid if we're going to love more in 24? Yes, I call them no-nos and love-nos. And these are the things that really undermine, they cut, they destroy, they impede uh, the exercise of love. And so we need to work on what draws us together and not what drives us apart. Uh, and some of those would be, um, and you need to check yourself because you might be experiencing this on the inside and then it might come out on the outside through your words or your actions. Um, abhorrence. Sometimes people abhor, not sin, they abhor human beings. That's wrong. That's a no-no. You, 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 we don't have a right to abhor another person. We can abhor their uh, sinful behavior or their attitudes or something, but not the person. Uh, and animosity. A lot of times we have animosity in our hearts, sometimes toward people that we don't even know. And it's like, why do you even go into a situation, uh, a conversation, even online with somebody? You know, people get so 
there's such animosity in, in uh, public discourse these days, and that actually undermines love of neighbor. Antagonism goes alongside with that. Uh, there, there's, it seems like some people, instead of uh, welcoming others into what I call their circle of love, if you come into my presence, you, you entered in my circle of love, and, I, and I should, my first reaction should be to love you. For a lot of people nowadays, it seems like there's an antagonism that precedes the person's arrival. And so check your heart. Are you feeling antagonistic and uh, an and antipathy uh, toward people uh, a priori? That's wrong. Uh, root that out. Ask the Lord to root it out. Uh, on the other hand, some people just feel apathy. There's just like, whatever, you know, there, there's like an aversion and an apathy toward others. They could care less or they couldn't care less. And that is something that we also have to root out if we want to love more in 24. With that, Oftentimes, with, with that ap- uh, the uh, antagonism that I mentioned before, there's a sense of condemnation. We're always condemning others for everything, everything that they believe, everything that they do, everything that they don't do, everything that they don't say, that they say, be careful, be careful because the enemy does that. Uh, some people feel a real sense of disdain, and disregard, and disgust for others, uh, not just dislike, uh, and all of these things undermine love, and of course, hate, and hatred, and enmity, as I mentioned before. And ill will, that one is one that we need to be careful. Never will the ill of another, always will their good. And that is the definition of love, to will the good of another. Martha, about a minute to go. What else must we love more in 24? Your final thoughts, uh, if we want to make it to the finish line. Well, I mentioned last week that we must love goodness and virtue and holiness and conversion, and we must love prayer and penance and the sacraments and sacred scripture and sacred tradition and those things that lead us more in love so that we might love more and make America love again. Now, someone might say as a child, you can't make me. That's right. I can't make you love, but I can help you love. I can invite you to love. I can persuade you to love. And I can model love to others. And I try my very, my very best. And I'm always examining my conscience and going to confession when I sin against love, which I did this Sunday, again, because I was very snarky to somebody on Friday night in the middle of a line for prayer during holy hour. And so I had to ask myself, why are you being why did you respond to that? I, I apologized to her twice. We hugged it out at the end. And then I brought it to confession. I don't want anything standing in the way of me and God, me and my neighbor, me in true love. I want to love more in 24. Real quick, uh, where can our uh, listeners uh, find you if they want to invite you to uh, speak and, and bring you to their uh, neck of the woods? You can find me at rememberyouarelove.com. You can find me at marthafernandezsardina.org. And you can email me at info at rememberyouarelove.com. And I can come into your area and tell you personally what I say to you every Tuesday, John, and to you listeners. Remember, you are loved. As always, thanks so much, uh, Martha, and so are you. Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of rememberyouareloved.com. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Professor Harry Kramer, professor of management and strategy at Kellogg School of Management, uh, will discuss learning from the insights and the experiences of senior world leaders like Tony Blair to make progress in our leadership journey. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch on this Tuesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah on the other side of the glass. A great a choice for the bumpers since we fought through an ice storm to get into the studio this morning. And so we count our blessings. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free number, if you want to be part of the program, 888 sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888 And our email Morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, this morning, I'd like to share a, a quote from legendary British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, Sir Winston, from a speech in 1948 to the House of Commons in the British Parliament that is very interesting for this election year. Those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. Our next guest oftentimes reminds his students that that's an opportunity and, and part of their leadership development is to understand and have an appreciation for world history and geopolitics. Professor Harry was in San Francisco just a few weeks ago and got to meet uh, former uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair. Listen uh, to Tony Blair discussing a very divided world today with David Weston on Wall Street Week Daily. The whole of the Middle East is undergoing a huge change. And I think the, the essence of the struggle in the Middle East really revolves around the desire of people there across the cultural spectrum, right? Whether you're in the Jewish state of Israel or in predominantly Muslim countries, the desire of people to move towards what I call rule-based economies and religiously tolerant societies. And when you look at the modernization program, for example, that's going on in Saudi or in the United Arab Emirates or elsewhere in, in the Gulf and Qatar, Bahrain and so on, you can, you can see that it's illogical for those countries to be hostile to Israel. Joining us live uh, from Sarasota, Florida, on the road this morning is a former uh, CEO of Baxter and Morning Air regular contributor, Professor Harry Kramer, uh, to uh, further discuss uh, learning from the insights and experiences of senior world leaders like Tony Blair. Harry is a professor of management and strategy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management, where he teaches in the MBA and executive MBA programs. He's uh, also an executive partner with Madison Dearborn Partners, one of the largest private equity firms in the, the U.S., Good morning, Professor Harry. Thanks so much for joining us from the Sunshine State. It's great to be with you once again. Always great to be with you, John. Yeah, I'm just at the airport waiting for a plane to get back to the uh, the frozen north so I, I can teach tonight and tomorrow. But uh, always, always great to talk to you and uh, Sarah and Glenn, the team. Always of great. Of course. Well, you uh, you missed the big ice storm here in the Chicago area. <laughs> I was lucky to just make it into the studio. <laughs> Sometimes you just get lucky, John. Sometimes you get lucky. So all good. And, you know, being in Sarasota, you know, you're right there uh, in uh, uh, the land of spring training. You know, the spring training is uh, right around the corner coming up uh, uh, around uh, February 14th, just a few weeks away. So uh, Cubs baseball in Arizona is right around the corner, too. 
Absolutely. Maybe, John, you and I had to go down there. Let's play two. Let's go down there and let's see how things are going. This this could be the year, John. This could be the year. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, <laughs> thank you for channeling Ernie Banks. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's talk about um, uh, world leaders and some of the things that we can learn from some of these uh, legendary uh, world leaders. Why is it important to, to understand and have an appreciation for, for world history uh, and uh, geopolitics in one's leadership development? Yeah, John, you raised, raised such a great point. I, I, I actually believe um, and I think you're, the quote that you gave from, from Winston Churchill is a good example. You know, history has a tendency to repeat itself. And if you don't study it and you don't really understand why what happened happened, the chance of it happening again is going to be high. And of course, and then you're going to be surprised. And one of the, the lines I use in class all the times, John, is when somebody tells me they're surprised, I almost always say, I'm surprised you're surprised. Because if you take the time to think about it, there, there's not a lot of things that should be a surprise. And with this whole idea of, oh, well, I think that person, I may disagree with that person. Uh, I, I truly disagree. Well, guess what? Let's use the St. Francis line I use every single day. I seek to understand before I'm understood. And real, quite honestly, John, if you and I have a different view on something, okay, rather than, oh, I just disagree with John. No, I really want to understand why do you believe what you believe? Because once I understand then I can decide whether I agree or disagree. And if I can be respectful of you, if I can demonstrate I'm really listening to you, you're not going to say, oh, Harry doesn't understand. No, Harry understands, but he's a different view. I wonder why Harry believes what he believes. And then, John, maybe I can get you to listen to me, and maybe we can find some middle ground on an issue. But if we're both at extremes and no one listens to one another, absolutely nothing gets done, John. No doubt about it. And what about the wisdom that we can learn uh, from, uh, you know, great world leaders? Uh, who are some of the leaders that you've admired over the years? Oh, boy. Um, I can start anywhere. But I, I think of George Washington, okay, who literally decided, you know, we're not going to duplicate what happened with King George. And thank you. Thank you. But I'm not going to run beyond a second term uh, because we want to have this voted on and be able I think of what Abraham Lincoln did, where it may not be popular, uh, but he did what he felt needed to be done uh, related to slavery, uh, you know, and it ended up costing his life and being assassinated. Um, you look at Martin Luther King. You look at Mahatma Gandhi. Um, I, I can go on and on of people, Winston Churchill, okay, um, you know, people who basically said, we're going to do the right thing. Some people aren't going to like it, okay, but I'm going to explain, I'm going to explain why this is what makes Mandela of what, what he did being in prison for all those years. Um, you know, there are, there are people I think who decide what really is the right thing to do. And then after deciding that they figure out politically how to get it done. I, uh, in the, in the blog post I put on this one, uh, this week, uh, John, or I guess it was now last week. That was one of the things that, that Tony Blair had talked about. And, you know, I love to listen to people that had been in leadership roles and this fellow um, you know, some of the things you can agree with, some of them you don't. But interestingly enough, he was the prime minister of the, of the United Kingdom for, for 10 years. And he talked about some of his lessons learned. What did he learn? What works and what doesn't work? And I just listened. I took a lot of notes because, again, you can listen to somebody who's had certain experiences, listen to it. What do you agree with? What don't you? Learn and then try to apply that. So you minimize, you minimize the chance that you repeat history and be surprised. 
Well, obviously, uh, you know, we, we pray every day here on the show, and so many people are, are praying for an end to the war in the Middle East and, and the conflict in Ukraine as well. Um, did uh, you get a chance to talk to Tony Blair about his, uh, his take on what's happening in the Middle East and in Ukraine? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. In fact, it was it was very interesting. And again, John, people can view it very things very differently. His view related to the Ukraine is if you watch uh, what Russia has done and is doing uh, in that country, um, and the folks in the rest of Europe wondering, oh well, do we continue to support it or not? He'd say, take take a look at a history book of what happened in 1935, 1936, 1937, leading up to the Second World War, where. You know, they said, "Okay, well, I'm sure Hitler's only going to take one or two of these countries. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to, we don't want to create a war over this." And look at what happened uh, as a result of having giving him the view that nobody was going to stop them. So his whole view was, if if you really believe in a in a democracy and you really believe that a country has the right to rule itself, you know, how can you not support the Ukraine? And of course, there is another side. Hey, it is very expensive. It's very expensive. Um, and here in, we're in the United States in a country with a high level of debt already. You can, you can understand and rationalize uh, why, well, geez, maybe that's too expensive to do. I think he would say, in, in his opinion, do you, not, do you not have to do that? Is that something that we'll live to regret it if, in fact, we, we don't support it? Uh, so, again, think of it. That idea of, yeah, there's multiple sides, but, you know, what, what can I learn from what, what history's taught me in, in, in the past? And obviously, um, social media is is part of our world uh, in this day and age. Uh, did uh, the former Prime Minister Tony Blair have anything to say about the effect of social media on our world? A- absolutely, John. And there are things that I know you and I feel strongly about that every, no matter what you do, there's benefits and there's there's problems. And yes, in some ways you can get some interesting information. But one of the comments he made about social media, it enables the people at extremes to have a lot more voice than you'd expect them to have because it sort of drowns out the, what the majority. I mean, if you think about things right now, you've got people, and you can be wherever you want to be, but you've got people at the two extremes that end up causing a scenario where the middle gets drowned out. And um, one of his comments that I may have put in, in the post was he said something about the fact that people with the loudest voice shouldn't necessarily uh, get the majority of the vote because they're, they're a minority. Um, but there is this sense of because of the, the social media and because of what you and I know, John, are echo chambers, if somebody is at one extreme or the other, it's not that they disagree with others. They don't even understand how somebody could have a different view, right? Because if 100% of your information is exactly what you want to hear, you have no ability to understand why could somebody view that differently? And I, I often mention, John, all the time that when if I'm having an argument with you and, you know, there's a tendency for somebody to say, well, John, I don't understand where you're coming from. And I always tease people that usually when they say, I don't understand, they don't want to understand. They're just letting you know they disagree. And that ability to truly understand multiple perspectives puts you in a much better position, I think, to make a, a reasonable, uh, reasonable decision. Now, uh, former Prime Minister Tony Blair uh, was the Prime Minister of Britain for uh, a decade, uh, and uh, he eventually converted to the Catholic faith back in 2007, uh, influenced by his uh, Catholic wife and and his children. Do you have a sense of how important his Catholic faith uh, is to him uh, today? I think very much so. I mean, it was very, very clear in his comments 
uh, you know, and he actually made comments of the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there, there's two things we're really supposed to do, right? You know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you think and look at situations like in the Middle East, where it's very, very easy for very, very good reason, you know, to take one side or the other. But, you know, when somebody said to me, um, well, geez, Harry, are, are you on, on Israel's side or are you on the Palestinian side? You know, I, I just literally say, I'm on the side of human beings, all right? Every human life, uh, at least, you know, I, I think Jesus teaches us, the Bible teaches us, uh, good behavior teaches us that every life is value. So figuring out a way to save human life uh, rather than just continuing to kill one another and elderly people and babies and everything else, uh, just, he, he talked very openly about how do you get people to talk to one another to stop the killing. Um, so I, I, I would say his his Christian faith is, is very, very strong. Well, obviously, we're in an election year. The, the New Hampshire uh, primary started last night at midnight. Uh, did a, you get a chance to talk about his take on politics here uh, on this side of the pond here in, in the U.S.? Yeah. In fact, this was a really interesting discussion, John. I'll, I'll try to summarize it for you. His view is what politicians really ought to do. Let's assume you and I are in office, John. What you and I ought to be doing as, as senior leaders in politics, we ought to figure out what's the right thing to do. What's, what, what, what do we really believe is the right? People may not want to hear about it, but what's the right thing to do? So figure out what the right policy is. And then once we figure out the policy in a political democracy with different parties, how do we get that policy implemented? So it's like, okay, so it's, John, it's fascinating. It's like policy comes first, then you figure out the politics. And what he's concerned about in the United States now, and he said, we have exactly the same thing in Britain right now as well. People get really absorbed in the politics, and then based on what they think they, people want to hear, then they figure out how to get it done. He said, it's exactly the opposite of what a strong leader should do. And so taking the time to really think through what's the right thing to do, and then get it done. And the other thing he made, which I thought was a great one, he said, he said, you know, the politicians are really trying to do the right thing when they focus on telling you things you may not want to hear. Because he said, they're obviously bright enough that if if what they want to do is make you happy, they know how to do that. They know how to do that. But but if we're, our deficits are too high and we need to cut certain things, they're not cutting them because they're bad people. They're cutting them because, you know, the country can only handle, and right now, John, we've got something like $33 trillion of debt in this country. So you got to make some hard choices, which are hard to do if you let the politics drive things rather than figuring out what the right policy is. Fascinating uh, conversation that you had with uh, former British Prime Minister uh, uh, Tony Blair. There's so much that we can learn from his wisdom and other world leaders. My my all-time favorite world leader happened to be the successor of St. Peter, uh, Pope St. John uh, Paul II, as, as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, it's always great to get together, and I just encourage our readers that whatever you're listening to, make sure you are taking the time to understand multiple perspectives, understand before you're understood, as, as uh, St. Francis tr tries to teach us. I, I think the world would be a lot better place if we actually listen to one another. I'm with you 100%. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us uh, from uh, beautiful Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Professor Harry, uh, thanks again. Always, my friend. You take good care. Many blessings. Uh, Professor Harry Krimer, Professor of Management and Strategy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. 
Our story today is called The Road of Life. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. There was a sort of like picture of him as a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. Later on when I met Christ, it seemed as though life was like a bike ride. On a tandem bike, and I noticed Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't recall when he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, it was rather boring and predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew the exciting paths to take. Up mountains, through rocky places at breakneck speeds, it was all I could do to just hang on. At times it seemed like madness. He said, pedal. And by faith I did. Although I worried and was anxious, where are you taking me? He laughed, but no answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. When I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people that had gifts I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, love, and joy. So many priceless gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. Then we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage now. There'll be more gifts to come. So I did. I gave them to people we met and found that in giving, I also received and my burden was lighter. I didn't trust him at first to be in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But I discovered he knows how to handle even the roughest roads in my life. Now I'm learning to be quiet and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view, the challenge of the ride, as well as the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ. When it seems I just can't take it anymore, I keep my eyes and faith on him. And he looks at me with a big smile and says, keep on pedaling. Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious hand. As always, Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, Let's honor our Lord Jesus and His Blessed Mother Mary by praying and watching the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this uh, Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024 edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.